0: Love Talk Radio.
1: Good afternoon from sunny Florida. Well, cloudy Florida, but at least it's not pouring again today. This is Dr. Simon, and this is part two of the myth of mental health. Um, I did a show yesterday on this subject, and I uh, got a wonderful call from Bob Eaton, uh, who today sent me the folk album. He's a folk singer. Who um, told his story? I'm not going to repeat his story. Uh, I was delighted to meet him and learn about him. And before I went on the air, I listened to some of the numbers of his album, uh, <clears throat> The Journeyman, uh, which was a CD, but unfortunately no longer available uh, on Amazon uh, because I would take it and download it into my own collection. I listened to some of the numbers, they're wonderful. But anyway, When I left off, uh, one point I have to make before where I left off, in the myth of mental illness, the claim is made that more and more crazy behavior, deviant behavior, uh, upsetting, troubled, and troubling behavior are due to as yet unknown chemical imbalances in the brain. Uh, When I describe what I believe to be my view of what would be mental health, not merely the absence of crazy behavior, because I don't know any human being who doesn't dabble in crazy stories. And I also believe that most of the stories, the religious and political stories that bring people together as a society are crazy. They're not factual. (coughs) They're filled with judgments. Uh, And they're one of the reasons why uh, people end up being labeled uh, as mentally ill but if in fact we take all of the behaviors that society uh, admires respects and expects from people it should be then that we should be able to see that these are due to nicely balanced chemicals in the brain and of course nobody is looking to see what the chemical balance in somebody's brain is if they behave uh, according to the standards of society or uh, if they are very creative and admired and respected for their work or their athletics. uh, The assumption is that they have a healthy body and a healthy brain uh, but nobody looks for the specific chemical balances that would define and predict those behaviors that would allow us to actually use the term mental health, that is a biological understanding of why people are normal rather than the biological understanding that keeps being promoted for why people are abnormal, showing unwanted, disturbed, and disturbing behaviors. So it, it, it blows the whole thing up, that whole bullshit up, uh, that we're going to find a specific chemical or chemical imbalances. And then once again, if we do, they will be seen as um, uh, 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 real illnesses, medical illnesses, and they'll be treated by endocrinologists, neurophysiologists, and not people like myself uh, who have a doctorate in in clinical psychology and never spent a moment in medical school. Um, And and someday, hopefully, that will happen. Someday, uh, I'll talk about it towards the end of this show and other shows because I really enjoyed doing the show yesterday. Um, And at this point, so much at the end of my career, that I realize doing this show is not only what my career is about, that and my writing, but um, doing the show is probably one of the best things I've done in my career. I have a goal for this show, and that is to blow up the medical model. Uh, and convince people, uh, on one hand, uh, if they're professional, stop using it, let psychiatry die, let the people who are trained to be in psychiatry uh, find a legitimate um, aspect of medicine to practice, rather than the pseudo-medicine, I'd like to see it disappear. Now, it won't happen in my lifetime, because most of... uh, the human race lives in hierarchical situations, not democratic situations, in which they believe they are in some level of society, of worth, some level of worth. Not what I suggested at the end of my program, that they and everybody else are more human than otherwise, and that while some people do some things better than other people, that doesn't make them better as people, that the value of every human being should be seen as the same, which is really the hallmark of living in a democratic system. And so what I wanna talk about today is my view of of uh, what mental health is, and I started yesterday by saying, uh, I finished yesterday, uh, but really the more beginning of the topic to say, that a human being that I believe survives and thrives as a human being, uh, that experiences love and joy, uh, and 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 uh, must be in part protected, nurtured, and be protectors and nurturers of other people. We can't do it alone. Uh, serial killers do it alone. They hide from the world and do bad things. People who withdraw and, uh, and, and become more and more at risk for suicide can't do it alone. They, it's unbearable. Uh, when in prison they want to really punish somebody, they put them in solitary confinement. Solitary confinement is one of the cruelest things you could do to any human being because what it does is deprive them for day after day and month after month uh, uh, hour after hour of interchange with other human beings. Right? At the same time, I suggested that to thrive as a human being, we must recognize that, like our fingerprints, we all have them, but they're all different. And that one of the things that we need to do, or I see as being mentally healthy, is not only to be part of the whole, the community, family, uh, loving relationships, uh, friendships, um, contact, rich, meaningful contact with other human beings. But uh, finding the individual difference in themselves that can be expressed in some creative fashion. In my book, I discuss at some length. Uh, Maslow's theory, a hierarchical theory of needs. Uh, And then I point out that ultimately he sets it up as a hierarchy uh, so that when he died there were papers left and letters left in which it suggests that he was a self-actualized individual. That is my view of what a really creative individual is and that um, he was superior because of that. And he was a member of a small group of human beings who were equally superior. Uh, sad, sad, sad. But the truth is that the authoritarian hierarchical thinking permeates most of people's humans' lives. Um, somebody is calling in. I'm going to ask you to hold a couple of minutes while I finish some of these thoughts, and then bring you on. Okay, whoever you are, uh, don't leave. Um, I don't think a human being, and I see this in myself through my own life. And it doesn't matter what you create as an individual. I write in my book about students who hated being in school, um, and I ultimately didn't put them down for it. So one young man comes up to me, and I said, what do you love to do if it's not this? He says, I want to be a chef. And he talked about, and I write about in the book, the problems he had with his dad who worried about him being a chef and wanted him to play it safe and first get a college education. Uh, And he worried his father wouldn't love him, uh, his father would reject him, or the father who had medical problems would be so upset that he might die. And we discussed all of this. And finally he decided to talk to his father about what he loves, and the father recognized that he was a, a cook, a good cook, because he cooked at home for the family and everybody loved his stuff. Um, and he left school and a year later stood in front of me uh, as happy as a man can be, joyful, because in my view of, of, of uh, mental health, there's a sprinkling of joy in the life of a person whose work is also play, done for its own sake, uh, and is satisfying and rich in a way that couldn't be if it was just done for money or just done uh, uh, as a result of being the object of somebody who wants you to behave for their needs and not for your own. There has got to be, we do for you and you do for me, but a piece of it has to be, we do for ourselves. And he was a sous chef. And he said goodbye, we shook hands. Today one might say namasta, uh, (laughs) or bump elbows. Uh, Sadly, it's very hard to... uh, uh, uh. Anyway, so let's talk about, how does this come about? And it comes about, I think, by what you experience. Do you experience yourself as being loved? Now, I came up with my idea, love is on a psychological level. on a biological level, is that my children's genes are as important or more important to me than my own. But the emotion of love means I want their needs to come before mine. And I know that was so. And I understood I was loved, not because my parents said it all the time, but because I understood that both of them would die rather than see me die. I was an end in and of myself and precious to them for whatever the reason, the underlying biological reason or the psychological reason of, of we love. And when we experience that, we tell a different story than when we exist to please our parents for their needs. Of course, these are all themes that emerge when you do psychotherapy or that we find ourselves in a, in a, in a training where we learn a set of skills that we don't enjoy, but simply will make money and find ourselves working in some hierarchical corporation where we control those below us while we're controlled by those above us. And we don't exist as a human being, but as a commodity. And this can be played out, and I discuss this in my book, about a whole range of areas. I despise, at this point, my memory of diagnosing people of mentally ill, because what it says is, you're essentially not worth, you're not good. And I came to love and respect many of them, and hopefully that overrode the fact that the diagnosis was made, I hope. And I think maybe it did. It's what we experience. Secondly, we need to get, be educated. None of us develop the skills to deal with a complex society unless we're educated. And in my future broadcast, I'm going to talk about the chapter I wrote on education, because most education is hierarchically. And I'm going to spend a special, special broadcast on what I call the myth of intelligence. Uh, most academics and psychologists are proud of their verbal ability, and that is often defined as the hallmark of intelligence, creative intelligence. Mm. I can read a book, but I can't read a green. And when I watch a real golfer read a green and hit a ball 200 yards within five feet of a pin, that's intelligence. That's brilliance. Right? We need an education. Right? We need that. Desperately. Okay? The the um, We need love. We need an education. We need to find a place for ourselves. And let me now see, since I've been babbling here for a while. Hello? Hi. How are you today? <laughs> who, who am I speaking to? Uh,
0: my name is uh, Hugh. I just came uh, across your show, and I love what you're saying. I'm actually a global visionary. I've had quite a bizarre life and I wanted to make you aware of a poem I authored many years ago that sort of sums up what life should be all about. I'm putting it out now globally to transform the whole field of global philanthropy and get people to become more spiritual and take personal responsibility in their lives and manifest a better future based on Spirituality and Unconditional Agape
1: Love. So let me be first to wish you the best of luck on this. And the second thing I want to do is tell me again your name.
0: Well, I'd like to share uh, my full name, if I may, in a, a Twitter page. You don't have to have a Twitter account to see the posts, and then I'll direct you to where you can see information about the poem I authored, which also is in the president. Ronald Reagan Library. It's been discussed as a weapon against terrorism and Maya Angelou even commented on my poem. You can simply put my name on the internet. It's Hugh H-U-G-H. The last name, Charlson, is spelled T like Tom then R-A-U-L-S like Sam, E like Edward, and like Nancy and then just put Twitter after my name. When you get on the Twitter page, if you Scroll down to the date of you? April twenty. 20- Give me the yep.
1: last name again, because I'm going to yes, look the, you up as soon as we... Sure.
0: It's the first letter is T, like Tom, then yeah. R, A, U, L, S, like Sam, E, like Edward, N, like Nancy, and then just... S?
1: T-R-A-U-L-S?
0: E, N, like Nancy. T-R-A-U-L-S-E-N.
1: Trollson. I got it. Okay. Right. Yeah. And my
0: last oh, no, name is. So do have... you want to read
1: your poem? Yes, I,
0: I, I wanted to I let you see where it is, if I may, and then I'll state it. At, on this Twitter page, if you scroll down to the date of April. 20th... I, I can't do that now. I'm going to have no, to I do that. I understand, but I don't do email or texting, so you can take the information from the archives and see this at your leisure. Okay.
1: But my listeners, I think, would like to hear it.
0: Yes. Well, the poem is titled, Caring, Sharing. It reads, if you dare to care, then share. If you share, pay heed. God will reward every good deed. It really sums up what life should be all about. If you contemplate the poem long enough, it will force you to take an action to help someone less fortunate than yourself. And when you do that, you're actually being a blessing back to yourself. Don't look for how it's going to come, but it will happen.
1: I agree. I agree. In fact, one of the things, how we are built as human beings, I believe, is that when we cause misery to another, we see the misery we cause and we feel the misery for ourselves, in ourselves. And the opposite is true as well. You bring happiness to somebody, it does tend to make you happy too, don't you think?
0: Most definitely. And people have lost the simple, basic things. I, I look to bring them back to that. Forget about the technologies, but sit down out in nature and look at the miracles all around, which God created you just like he did everything else, and then understand that no matter uh, who you think you are, you, everybody came from spirit, even an atheist can't deny that. Eventually, you're going to go back into spirit, and the material goods have absolutely no use there, so I say to people, that I believe we incarnate the Learn the lesson my wife blessed me with so beautifully, the lesson of unconditional love as we learn it. Right. Again, we're supposed to be a blessing to others, and I do say we're fully accountable for everything we do here.
1: Okay. Uh, I'm not sure I completely agree about the uh, afterlife or a spirit that will exist afterwards, uh, but I certainly agree 100% with you that there is only one way to live and that is as with unconditional love. And I wanted to talk a little bit about love and what we need. I said we need education. Uh, We need to experience love. And that becomes the problem. There was a wonderful song years ago by Whitney Houston, who was, I thought, a terrific singer. She had a great voice. And tragically, she didn't love herself enough and ended up killing herself with an overdose of drugs. Uh, She annihilated herself, which was sad because such a talented beautiful person and the song goes that um, the greatest love of all is the love for yourself and I reject that in half if you're not loved how can you know what love is it's experience yourself in the eyes of another as worth more than they are to themselves that gives you that sense that you all loved. It's experience. It's in our emotions. And when we build a story around that, because my book and and, and my show is called The Stories We Live By, uh, that becomes a way of living that, to me, can be called mental health. The manipulation of other people, the, the, the making of money just for money, um, is is the denial of love it 's the denial of creativity um, it, it, it has to be experienced um, most of the education i 'll talk about when when I get to it uh, is hierarchical. We grade children and we start sorting them out from higher to lower. I tell the story in my book about a friend I was very close with in the sixth, fifth and sixth grade. And um, we were in the same class at that point. He was kind of a rambunctious young man, but we used to play around constantly. We ran. Uh, I, I ruined two pair of pants that my mother could have trouble forgiving me for because we would chase each other around the schoolyard, and I twice fell and tore the, the, the knee on my pants. When I went to 7-1, he was, for a reason I never understood, sent to 716, We were sorted out. I was told how smart I was. And by the way, not smart enough to make the SPs, which really stuck in my craw for a long period of time until I worked through the idea I am who I am and they are who they are. Uh, and, and each half of us asked if we're going to be mentally healthy. And again... The word health is simply a a, a judgment that's medicalized. It has nothing to do with actual health. It has to do with the quality of life that we live. Uh, He went to 716, which was basically kids who were hoodlums, throwaways, angry uh, youngsters who had already previously been sorted out and told that they were worthless and no good. And when we internalize the image of being worthless, no good, we act on it. It becomes our story. So these were kids who used to uh, go out at lunchtime and beat kids up for the nickel that was their milk money, uh, or talk back to the teachers, uh, who sometimes should have been talked back to, but certainly not by them or how they did it. And by the time we graduated in ninth grade, because back then it was, it was uh, uh, well, actually, yeah, ninth grade, went to high school, um, he was unrecognizable to me. We had nothing to talk about, wouldn't, had nothing to play about. I had been sorted out in one way, and he had been sorted out another way. I never saw him again after that. Uh, we didn't go to the same high school. Uh, I think he went to Theodore Roosevelt in the Bronx. I went to James Monroe in the Bronx. And that stuck with me all my life. And I have watched while people get sorted out by their value and experience themselves as not having value towards some and being more valuable than others. And when the stories are built around that, uh, life is not mentally healthy. But health here is, is a moral term, just as mental illness is a moral term. And um, I would change the entire system. Maybe your poem will change the system. Um, you know, that your poem is embodied in the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be uh, What's the word? I'm losing my mind here today. We <laughs> hold these truths uh, that, that each human being, each man, uh, has certain unalienable rights. In my book I wrote inalienable, but it means the same as unalienable. Why they use that word, I guess, is closer to Old English. Unalienable, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Although I disagree with the happiness part. You can't pursue happiness... Happiness comes from how you live, and usually happy people are referred to as mentally healthy, although the word I like better is joy. You can't pursue joy either, but I know whenever I experience joy, it's because I've been me and something good in relation to somebody else. My wife, my children, my friends, my community uh, makes me joyful. Joy is hard to come by, but maybe if I rewrote the Constitution, it would be life, liberty, and the pursuit of joy. But again, pursuit is the wrong word. You have to live a certain way. And we don't live a certain way that I could use the, the moral term, the, the misnomer, the mythical term, mental health, unless we're treated that way first and experience that. Uh, I had a friend when I taught for many years uh, who was a composer, good composer too, and he didn't want to teach, but he couldn't get his music played. Classical music really doesn't do well in our society, um, you know, in, in the age of Twitter especially, when everything is, what, 140 word characters? I don't remember how it is, but very frustrating, um, And he wrote symphonies and concertos, and he couldn't get them played. He produced some of his own music and had it recorded. And I thought much of it was terrific. And uh, I said to him once, um, how can you compose a symphony? And he said, easy, you write a book because you think in words. I write a symphony because I think in music. You, can you think in music or do you think in words? I
0: think in information. That's a whole other yes. game—and I'm yes. an expert yes. in what I turn...
1: Term- and by the way, each of us, I believe, thinks differently than other people. Even though when we speak to people, we agree that's a computer, that's a book, that's a poem, that's an idea, that's a car. But what we're experiencing is unique in some ways to ourselves. And so... He was lucky. He had parents who, who supported him, who had him go through an education that allowed him to become a composer. Uh, and his students adored him. Um, but he taught because that was an income and gave him health insurance. And by the way, uh, mentally healthy, whatever that might mean, really depends upon physical health. And what I'm watching now in our society as people lose their jobs and lose their health care and end up in the hospital, uh, they're going to be saddled with debt for the rest of their lives. What a tragedy. What a tragedy that was going to be. Uh, The worst parts of this this COVID uh, for some people is death, but the real worst part is going to be what happens to their lives after we decide uh, that, that um, you have to go back to work and they have to pay their bills, particularly the health insurance bills. Those hospitals are, are you go into an emergency room, it's $2,000, $3,000. Uh, you're in a hospital for a week, a month, you're talking about could be $100,000. So we're going to have to rethink that. And I don't know if we're going to, you. I'm not sure you're up home and my broadcasts are going to resonate enough to lead to political action, which leads me to discuss one more thing related to what I call mental health, and that's being a good citizen. I think we're all responsible to keep our democracy together by voting. And over the years, many of the people I work with didn't know about politics, didn't care about politics. They let the decisions be made by the politicians who each one comes along and tells us how great they are. And this is regardless of political party. I've never heard anybody running for office say, you know what, I hope I don't screw your life up any worse than it might be screwed up. I'm told how great they are and how much they're going to do just for me and the people I care about. They're saints. They're not. They're just people. And we cheer and we say, this time we got the right person, the right man, the right woman. And it goes and it goes and it goes because that's not what they can do. Behave decently and maybe then we can model decent behavior. So I used to say to all of the people I work with over the years, and it took time. Go back to school. Get your GED. Start reading. Practice the things you love. Find time to do the things you love. But keep up with politics and vote. If not for the best candidate, at least the less dangerous candidate. (laughs) What do you think about that, you? Well, you you don't know me enough
0: yet. (laughs) I am actually a... Whistleblower. There's a big website that has a front-page Wall Street Journal article from 1983 that I was written up, and it triggered an investigation that eventually led to the resignation of Jim Wright from Speaker of the House in shame, the third highest office in the country, and the article beautifully described back in the early 80s how special interests and lobbyists have totally corrupted Washington. It's before Ross Perot talked about it, before, but due to apathy and people not knowing what to do or how to do right. it and just looking for saviors and heroes instead of being proactive in their own communities at the very least to bring forth now, solutions. What did you have to
1: do with this article?
0: I was written up. I, there's a memo that was sent to me where I exposed this uh, federal government bureaucrat for fraud and uh, – <laughs> The article is very interesting with the attachments because the Wall Street Journal reporter uh, questioned him about the note that he had sent to me, which he denied, but he signed it, so handwriting analysis would approve that, so when he was shown a copy of it, he had to admit that he lied. Also, he actually came up and visited me uh, when I was having a workers' comp hearing and attended the hearing with me. And in the hearing room, they took an inventory of the people in the room. He claimed that he was representing me as my attorney and denied that. But the hearing record picked it up. So it was Guilty of a misdemeanor, right
1: there. So, uh, God works.
0: Now, t- what did you do
1: for a living that you wrote this article? Well,
0: that's. I, I want to speak with you up here because I know you have a lot of things that you're looking to get across. But I think
1: I could no, help. No, I've gotten across today what I want to get across. Okay. You, tell well, me, tell me more about you. I, I
0: came from two very uh, interesting parents. Uh, my last name, Trollson, has global recognition in the food service field. Trollson refrigerators are all over the world in military installations, hotels, hospitals, schools, restaurants. President Trump has them in his hotels or even in the White House kitchen. I'm the firstborn child of the founder and did work for the company for about eight years when I first got out of the Air Force in 1968. My mother was a supermodel, and she, I believe, got my father his initial investor contacts. And uh, there's a page, Trollson and Trump that will... Show some interesting information on there, including a poster of my mother that 's in the Library of Congress where she posed for a wave recruitment poster during the second World War. She was my father 's third of seven wives he was a busy guy <laughs> my father 's very wife,
1: busy yeah
0: yeah my father 's sixth wife Virgin Trolson, after she divorced my father eventually married the commissioner for New York City, William J. Diamond. They were married in Gracie Mansion by Rudy Giuliani when he was mayor. So I have all that documented, and that's just the tip of the iceberg of who I am and what I'm doing. I'm strategizing with a gentleman I'd like to introduce you to who's a cybersecurity expert also involved in education. So he helps me uh, with social media on the Internet and the uh, big website you'll come across when you Google Charlson and Trump, and it says whistleblower, and you'll see the whole and trump yeah just google that and it, it'll bring Donald me the J website. Trump yep yeah I actually share common background with him you'll see letters that he's sending to me <laughs> and uh, I even uh, on another page have a letter from former President Obama to me related to the economy uh, they tell me what they're doing but they have no interest in the things that I'm looking to bring forth which goes back really what we need now is what John F. Kennedy said. That's not what your country can do for you but what you can do for your country. It's time to throw it right all out. Right on. Yeah. So did you do? Well, what did
1: you I, specifically I guess, do?
0: I wound up in a career basically in contract security and here again <laughs> uh I had some disabilities and actually worked at Union Carbide's world headquarters for about 10 years and was there when the gas leak over in Bhopal, India, happened. <laughs> and then uh, I worked in industrial business parks on Long Island eventually. And uh, when uh, 9-11 happened, I put out my poem over the radio airwaves as a weapon against terrorism. And then, uh, too, uh, uh, I... Uh, Became disabled in 2007, uh, while well, as a contract security officer in a patrol car, I had trouble breathing. I called my daughter. He said, Dad, call the police. They actually saved my life and got me on oxygen and got me to a hospital where I lost consciousness. In the emergency room, I was intubated, which a lot of people don't survive. And I uh, managed to come through see ICU after a couple of days. I'm
1: glad. Days.
0: Yeah, and then, too, uh, the, uh, I was disabled totally with very severe COPD. I started to work as comp case, but I never even had to have a hearing. They didn't expect me to live more than a few uh, months, I think. And I worked myself eventually into the veterans' health care system in 2008 in the area I'm in now, in uh, Virginia. And when I saw the pulmonologist at the hospital, he took one look at me and said, I'll be dead in <laughs> six months. I said, nice meeting you, too, Doc. I hope right. you're having a good day. What a beautiful bedside manner. But anyway, right. yeah, it's every day is a miracle, and that's what I'm looking to show people. You can make a choice at any time in your life to shift out of bad habits and, and bring in, start working with an understanding. There's two basic energies in life. One is negative and the other is love. Go with the God energy of love and you'll be on a better path. It doesn't mean that you're going to be tested or have difficulties, but it means what you think about, you bring about. So continue. Can I ask strive. you how old
1: you are at this point?
0: I'm 75 years young and I'm changing the world from my dining room table. It's a choice Good that I you. made. Good for you. And I'm really glad you called me. I'm glad to know you. Well, I'm, look I, you I'm up. looking for people like you because you have a lot of wisdom that you're putting there and I want to bring more attention back to your book. And again, there are strategies that can really empower the masses and, and manifest a better future because I'm really after the elites, these billionaires and trillionaires that think they have a stranglehold on everything, they don't. Because and Right now they do, you. Well, it's going to change.
1: And I have other I people. I hope so.
0: That, yeah,
1: there's a lot because of people you know like what, me. You, if it doesn't ch- you if it doesn't change, we're going to undo ourselves as 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 human beings, as a species. You're exactly right. And we that's we why can't destroy them. the planet we're on. Yep. Uh, one of the reasons we have him. this pandemic is we're destroying yep. the animals, destroying the planet, yep. knocking down right. the trees, poisoning yep. the water, uh, all for money. Yeah, and, I, and I, I'm sure you're familiar
0: with Agenda 21. Are you familiar with that? With what? UN Agenda 21. No, I'm not familiar. I'll look it up. Yeah, they're looking to depopulate the planet down to 500 million. Who is?
1: The the elites,
0: uh, the ones that drew up the whole Agenda 21. It's well known. The Georgia Guidestones and all that stuff is known. That's the problem. They keep everybody distracted. And if you're focusing just on mainstream media, being brainwashed into the, the way they want you to think.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the, that if if we're wrote, if we're the planet is reduced to 500 million, we're all going to have a big hand in it, not just the elites. But I well, agree. Uh, I, we, I, I give them a Myers, lot of credit for planning it all out. I said the biggest mistake yeah.
0: they made in their plans is why didn't they get the hell off the planet and leave the rest of us
1: alone to figure it out? This is true. Anyway, I'm going to close the show at this point, you. I'm going to look right, If you, you want out. to hang
0: on to my number, I'd be happy to talk to you some more
1: once you check me out. I will do that. I'm going to write it down right now because lately people have been calling in. I had a man call from Australia yesterday, Bob Eden. Uh, it was 6 o'clock in the morning when he called me there. And he's a folk singer, and I looked up his folk songs, and he's wonderful. But at Great. this point, he lives, he lives in a shack on the beach, and he doesn't even own shoes. Because that's, all right, He that's realized beautiful. <laughs> it is beautiful. He was beautiful. You, Mike. You're beautiful. But anyway, <laughs> let me write down. I'm going to keep my, your number. And I think you may yeah, hear from I, me. I
0: also went to school for about seven years at Mount St. Michael in the Bronx, in Mount Vernon. Uh
1: huh. Are you a Bronx boy?
0: No, I'm from Queens. I grew up in Bayside, Queens. That's where I have my business partner right now. Oh, I was a Bronx boy. Bayside was the first Hollywood before Hollywood. Yeah.
1: All right, I'm going to say goodbye. I'm going to take you offline, and I'm going to end the show. And I can't thank you enough for calling you.
0: Well, it's people helping people, and if you can't do anything else, you can... Say a prayer, that's energy, and God will put the ego in check where it needs to be. God bless everyone. Go with peace and love. It's a better future.
1: I hope I know you're right. Take care. All right, I'm going to end my show. This was terrific. Uh, End the episode.